Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again for a breaking bad recap episode. We are moving deep and fast into the third season for one amazing, amazing episode. One minute first aired on the 2nd of May 2010. It was written by Thomas Schnauz and directed by Michelle McLaren. This, of course, is episode 7 of season 3, moving us past the halfway point of season 3. And boy, oh boy, wowee, what an episode we have to talk about today. My name is Ben, and you're officially the cute one of the group now. And my name's Nick, and uh, I don't suppose you came by just to insult me. I did, yes. Um, <laughs> it's episode oh, 7, not socks. Um... <laughs> This is an amazing episode, Nick. This is, uh, wow. Um, I mean, I've mentioned a few times now I've watched ahead and then I've obviously come back to rewatch to take notes. But uh, this is one when I watched ahead, I was like, holy crap, that's an amazing episode. And I mean, start to finish, this is incredible. We've got some great acting performances, particularly by two of our actors in this one. But um, yeah, one minute. One minute is uh, a lot longer than we're going to, a lot shorter than we're going to talk about this episode. That's the way I should have said it, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, so much cool stuff to talk about with this episode. And um, I, one of the things that we maybe don't do a lot of is talk about the directors, but I kind of just wanted, since we're here with this episode, is talk about Michelle McLaren because, um, yeah, like an amazing episode and she directs this one. And, um, you know, she directs like 11 episodes in total of Breaking Bad, which is quite a lot for a TV show, right? Um, and um, on, on top of that, she's like a major kind of producer and, and influence on the show. And, um, you know, we're going to be talking about a director um for very different reasons in a few episodes time i think um and you know i just i just really wanted to kind of just stop down and you know give michelle mclaren a bit of you know love and respect because i think she's an awesome director and she's somebody that's actually gone on and done a whole bunch of you know like tv shows like game of thrones and walking dead and obviously a couple of better call saul episodes um and i think at one point she was kind of um, a front runner for the wonder woman movie potentially um so she hasn't really moved on to movies she's kind of stuck with tv but um she's just good at what she does and i, I just thought this is as good a time as any it's not her first episode she's directed but it seemed like the appropriate time to kind of point her out I like the fact here that she made her directorial debut on the season nine episode of The X-Files, John Doe, which was written by Vince Gilligan. There you <laughs> go. Um, and she's from Canada. She's uh, from uh, my part of the country I lived in, in BC, in Vancouver. So there you go. And won two Emmys, back-to-back directing Emmys. So mm. uh, good work. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how a certain director in a couple of episodes maybe gets a Star Wars movie based on this, and yet uh, poor old Michelle Mc... I-, I want a Michelle McLaren Star Wars movie. Surely would have done a lot better than The Last Jedi. <laughs> I mean, you know, couldn't have been worse. Um, oh, God, we're still close to that episode, aren't we? But, yeah, and um, I think... I- I think it's just interesting to note that like um in in this commentary i think um i might not have been this commentary it might have been another one that i might be the next episode um that has a female writer and um vince gilligan kind of makes the point that you know like he's got these great female writers and directors who um are actually really good at writing tough guy scenes um and you know so actually they're, they're really kind of this is probably a little bit ahead of its time in terms of how influential women are and in, in directorial and writing roles on the show you know um because that's something that i think probably has been a big deal in even the last couple of years so mm. yeah it's, it's kind of just yeah maybe just a little bit ahead of its time i think well we've had a lot haven't we i think i feel we've mentioned a lot of female directors along the way so yeah. um yeah no yeah that's it that's a good point you make there and obviously a lot more prominent now as you say um sort of brought into the the public lexicon a little bit more but uh yeah breaking bra- breaking brown i was gonna say breaking bad breaking ground <laughs> But why not combine them? It makes it an easier thing to say. Breaking Brown. You're welcome. You can use that <laughs> world. Um, 
But we start off, uh, we're yellow tinge. Of course, we've got to be in Mexico somewhere. <laughs> um, seriously, watch the pitch meeting uh, where essentially, you know, it's like, oh, everything's yellow down here. That's just how it is in Mexico. Uh, but we've got two young boys playing uh, and we've got a very familiar looking man who's been de-aged a little bit and he's looking nice and young and can talk and doesn't have a bell. It's Hector Salamanca. Uh, talking on the phone and these two little boys basically one of them breaks the head off a toy and he comes up to uh hector and he's like oh i hate him i wish he was dead and then dick hector grabs his brother and shoves him in a uh what is it an esky a cooler a chili bun uh of beer and uh nearly drowns him and uh, i love kind of the other kids slapping him and basically it's like family is all like you know this is all it is and it's like don't wish this upon it when you, this is not what you really want i mean it's quite a pretty confronting scene here to see that you know he's willing to basically almost kill his own uh nephew essentially um and also i think the important thing here, hector is he's on the phone i watched it with subtitles so he mentioned something about not trusting someone and he mentions that he's nothing but a chicken man so kind of uh laying some groundwork here to this uh relationship between i guess the salamancas and gus but um i've got a question to ask here though so like we keep calling them the cousins are we like have we only just ever referred to them as cousins are like because they're brothers but they're like I was confused because I always thought these two were cousins or are we just calling them cousins because they're the cousins of Tuco? But they're actually brothers, so there's two of them and they're the cousins, like, I don't know. Am I just no, confusing so they are, myself? They, no, so you are, you're right to be confused, to be fair. So they um they are do they, they obviously have names, so they're Marco and, and Lionel Salamanca. Um, but I guess probably um they are meant to be cousins on the show. They are right. actually in real life brothers. Um, but they are um they are meant to be cousins. But also they are Tuco's cousin. Um, so you know it is it is a bit confusing. But yeah, they just happen to be brothers. But they are meant to be cousins but, on the show. But 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 are they though? Because I mean, uh, uh, Breaking Bad Wiki says that two young boys fight over the toy. Um, blah, blah, blah. When Hector finishes a call, broke the toy. When Lionel says that he wishes his brother dead. So the cousins are cousins of Tuco, but they're brothers. Yeah, to your each brother other. did. Yeah, so, so, so maybe that's right. Maybe they're meant to be Tuco's cousins, but they are brothers they're with brothers. it. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that makes more sense. Um, and maybe I've just mis- misread and misunderstood um, the relationship. Yeah, so you, yes, you're probably right there. I love hearing those words, um, but I mean it's it's a it's a it's a confronting scene. I mean we're seeing a kid basically getting drowned because of his brother. I mean like uh, it's confronting, but I also I I like it when you kind of get like really evil evil people who are this cold and callous who will fucking do something like murder a child just because their other child is like I want him dead. Um, so I mean it sells this. We we've got nothing of Hector before besides pressing a bell and shit in his pants. So I mean this really shows just how evil the Salamancas are. Mm, and yeah, and we're going to get more of him. Like he's going to be quite a big presence in in season four. So um, kind of watch the space with him. It's kind of interesting you talk about the de aging because like this is quite ahead of its time. When you think Marvel were, uh, and Star Wars are quite into this now, you know, like de aging characters, even characters who are or actors who are dead, you know, like kind of doing this whole thing. And um, yeah, we kind of we kind of get this thing. Like I've just had a quick look, and and Mark Margolis was was. Yeah, about 70 at the time that Breaking Bad was filmed. So he was wow. born in 30, 39. This kind of comes out in 2010, you know. So, um, yeah, so roughly he's he's 70. Um, and so they have de-aged him. I did wonder if maybe they had aged him up for the other scenes and this is what he actually looks like. But, no, I think they have de-aged him for this scene. And it's really effective. I think it is really, really good. They, You know, it's really hard to tell what they've done. Um so so yeah i i really enjoy it um and you're right it, it is kind of cool it kind of it is confronting and um kind of sets this guy up as a real asshole but you know we kind of get that line at the end which is you know family is everything and, and that's something that kind of drives these salamancas right to, to be making the decisions they're making yeah exactly i mean obviously we we know they're they're pricks because of tuco but i mean kind of it, we get a real sense here but then we of course get the two Cousins, brothers, the two family members, um, back to one of these little uh, shrine things where we now got a photo of Hank putting it in front of the the candle. So obviously we know at the end of last episode um, that's kind of the the thing that uh, they're now coming after Hank. But, I mean, God, this episode doesn't stop because as soon as we have the credits, Jesse's coming home uh, and Hank pulls up and just beats the living shit out of him. 
Uh, I mean, look, there's three potential top five moments in this episode. Uh, this is probably the weakest of the three of them, but I mean, still, this is very, like, full on. Like, it just kind of doesn't even slow down. Because, like, even the way Hank just kind of gets out of the car, it's, just, it's not like he's, like, running towards him to bash him. He's just kind of got this angry look on his face. Just literally walks straight up to Jesse. Jesse's basically like, I've got nothing to say to you, bitch. And then Hank just beats the absolute living crap out of him, knocks him out. Uh, and then we see Hank obviously realizes the extent of what he's done. We've got the cops basically showing up, all the DA, everyone, the ambulances to uh, get Jesse and uh, Hank's boss here essentially uh, kind of is uh, giving him a bit of a talking to. Then we have Jesse in the hospital. Some great lines from Sol, who's still wearing the ribbon, uh, I'm seeing here. Um, it was good to see that they're still wearing the ribbon. Uh, I love that line when he's like, yo, Adrian, Rocky called. He wants his face back. Um, and then talks about, uh, yeah, as my opening line was, you're the, officially the cute one of the group now. Hey, Paul, meet Ringo or whatever it is. Um, and Walt comes in and they talk about this being his free pass now. Um, that uh, this is now going to help him. DA can't do anything. And this is where Jesse essentially is like, I want him to burn. I want his family to, I want uh, Hank to go down. I want him to not get any money. Walt's basically just looking really obviously concerned because then Jesse essentially threatens that, hey, uh, I, I will give up the great Heisenberg here if you try and stop me. So, I mean, look, Aaron Paul and Dean Norris are the stars of this episode. And, and Aaron Paul is just incredible in these scenes. Like this one and the, the one that comes after is even better. So, I mean, just just how angry he is and kind of how he's finally got this ability to stand up to, to Walt and just like it's so good. Like I just love it. And then the scene obviously afterwards you've got here Walt kind of and Sol having a bit of a chat to each other, sort of, you know, a bit concerned. I think Sol sort of mentions that maybe we can take care of Jesse. But, um, I mean, it's just... Like, you talk about the dialogue scenes and the dialogue episodes and, uh, you know, sometimes, like, I'm with you. I usually enjoy them. And this episode kind of has a a whole collection of it. Like, I mean, we start off with action, we end with action, and everything else in the middle is just dialogue. And I absolutely love all the dialogue stuff we've got going here. And, again, I can't praise Aaron Paul enough for this episode. He is just so good. And this is just – this isn't even his best scene, and he's fucking brilliant in this scene alone. Yeah, and, I mean, um, look, I'll – I'll fess up that I'm still irrationally annoyed by Jesse and, and this stuff kind of irritates me. Um, but I don't know why, like I'm just having an emotional reaction to, I don't like the Jesse. I don't like that, but he's, he's in the right. I'm in the wrong, um, which is a really weird thing to say, but um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just get annoyed by him and I don't really know why. Um, I, I love the kind of scene of, of Hank kind of coming towards him and, and, you know, you kind of, it's almost like a POV from Hank. Like you can kind of see the, the, the shaky cam going up and down as if, it steps and then it kind of actually pans and, and you see Hank there beats the shit out of him um, and apparently these prosthetics took like two hours to put on for, for Aaron Paul as well and there's kind of this behind the scenes thing of like he apparently like one of his eyelashes kind of folded into his eye one day and he was wow. like an extreme discomfort for like you know all day while they were filming until they took it off um, so yeah it's quite it, it's really good makeup I really really like the makeup too and um, yeah I can't quite put my finger on what annoys me about about Jesse here because he's totally within his rights to feel absolutely upset and, and, you know, like he's had the shit kicked out of him by Hank. And so obviously he wants revenge, but there's something about it that annoys me. And um, I think kind of, I'm looking forward to talking about the, the, the kind of dialogue argument scene that happens a little bit later, because I think um, I've got more to say about it then um, maybe looking at it, not from Jesse's perspective, but, um, but yeah, yeah, in terms of the acting, I absolutely think, yeah, Aaron Paul's given it his all here and and is really, really impressive. And um, I can't let the scene go without talking about um, the interesting fashion choices kind of jacket thing (laughs) that, um, that Saul's wearing as well. Yeah, I was going to say, so there's something about Sol in this like, episode that he just kind of looks, yeah, I don't know. But it's so interesting to hear you say that about Jesse because, like, to me, this is just one of those sequences where you just can't feel but not feel, feel for this kid. Like, I mean, he's just, like, all of, like, this to me is just completely against him that's it's not his fault at all. Like, he's just yeah, been I, absolutely I, I, beaten to a pulp. You've got to feel sorry for this kid. Well, I think I'm still in the mode of, like, if it hadn't been for Walt, um, he would have been in, in prison. Well, certainly not in, pr- in prison, but and you know he would have been arrested by Hank by this point. You know, like Walt has just kind of saved him from being arrested. And um, yeah, it's not it's not Walt's fault particularly that that um, that he's ended up getting the shit kicked out of him. You know, like it, we we don't we don't really get the scene of who decides to um, tell the story about Marie to 
you know, to Saul to kind of call Hank off, you know, like, and, and I see that as kind of a joint decision by the two of them. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, like who who's to blame for that, I guess. I'm, I'm yeah, like I say, I, I know I'm being irrational about it. I just, Jesse just annoys me in these scenes and, and I can't really put my finger on why. Yeah, I, I'm 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 shocked, Nick. I'm shocked, shocked. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I know you said at the very beginning about kind of your indifference to Jesse. So it's kind of it's interesting to think that um, we haven't really had much of a debate. I feel over the two of them that whole. Yeah, well, I think I, look, I think to me, um, yeah, to me, we're going to get to a point where um, the, my feelings are going to change, obviously. Um, but at the moment, and I think kind of going into the next few episodes, maybe the rest of this season until we kind of get to the end i get annoyed by jesse for various different reasons which i'll point out um that you know jesse kind of endangers things for no apparent reason like i think he just causes problems that don't need to be caused and um yeah i'm just interested in in having the discussion later on about when he kind of says that everything that's gone wrong is walt's fault i I think that's an interesting discussion to have but um don't get me wrong like i'm not gonna hate jesse by the end of this i think this is just this part I, i guess i'm probably having the reaction that lots of people had about Skylar about Jesse you know like I, I didn't get annoyed by Skylar but um, I am getting annoyed by Jesse I'm, I'm probably the only person in the world and I, I guess that, that allows me to bring a unique perspective to yeah. it yeah it's I mean, the, the weird thing is jumping ahead is I, I can see where you can come up with that perspective from what's going to happen in this season I can definitely see where you're coming from but I definitely don't agree because I'm. I feel like I'm going to be the one having watched ahead that I'm going to be almost critical of Walt, <laughs> and that like it's kind of this is Walt's fault. Which I mean, I don't think you know we can disagree too much. But I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's just it's it's interesting. It's the beauty of this show, right? Like it's the it's, it is yeah, the beauty of the yeah. show. Um, but yeah, no Soul's fashion. I'm looking at it right now. Um, we got mm. Hank at the DEA giving a statement about what happens, uh, kind of telling the truth about how he was uh, chasing this RV, had Pinkman in the RV, went to uh, get a warrant, got the phone call about his wife, and then when they start to question him about what happened at um, Jesse's house, he pleads the fifth. Do you, I really do wish. And I don't know if you've got something like this in New Zealand. I'm sure there's a version of it in New Zealand and Australia where you can, like, refuse to answer. But, like, I love the fact that Americans have a thing in their constitution that you can plead the fifth, I don't have to answer it. Like, what, what would it be? And you plead the socks in New Zealand? Like, I mean, do you, <laughs> does New Zealand have a constitution? No, we don't have a constitution, but I know we you still get kind of read your rights to a degree. So I think there is like we have a human rights bill, I think, or a human rights act or something like that. That kind of I think it's kind of located within that stuff. Um, so so yeah, but I, I do like this, and like this kind of brings me back to um, I don't know if you've seen American Crime Story, the OJ Simpson one. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I've, yeah, I've obviously seen quite yeah, I've seen quite a lot of stuff about the OJ, not just that, but other stuff. And you've got the case of the you know the cop who who goes on the stand and claims his fifth, fifth amendment rights and it's kind of like the the turning point really in that that whole trial it's yeah it's really interesting it's um oh just on a side tangent i mean american crime story i think i in my top 10 shows of the decade i might have put that at number two or number one and i even in my top 50 shows of all time i put in there and i'm so look I, like let's date when we're recording because i realize this is going to be released in 2022 when it's probably already aired and we're, we're already talking about how amazing it is but at the time of recording this uh, we haven't yet seen season three, which is all on the Monica Lewinsky stuff, which I am so looking forward to seeing. Like, I just that's an amazing one to do it. And did you watch the Versace one? Uh, no, two? I, I oh, think we talked about so this during Nip Tuck because obviously it's a Ryan Murphy product. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just I have it's one of those things that's kind of been on my to watch list for a while and just never quite I'd, gotten around. I'd to go it. out on a limb and say it's almost even better. It's just, I mean, uh, what's his name? Daniel Chris Cross, whatever his name is. He, you, to go from what he who he was in Glee. To who he plays in that, like just oh, what a turn! Amazing. I'd love to cover those shows, and they're only ten episode seasons, so they're just such a great shows. Anyway, sidetracked. Um, I know in Australia we have a constitution, and I'm pretty certain, and I don't know the facts around this, but I've 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 been told or I've read or something that technically in our constitution we can claim New Zealand as a part of Australia, but I think you guys have to have a referendum or something to agree with that. So, like, if we all of a sudden tomorrow woke up and Scott Morrison was just like, yeah, we want a seventh state, fuck New Zealand, we want you to join us, I think we can enact something and then it just goes to you guys basically going, yeah, okay, we'll join Australia as a state. So, I don't know the truth to that. I could be making that up. But uh, there you go, Nick, if you ever want to come over to the dark side, you're welcome to become part of us. 
Yeah, I, and I think there's like a good reason why, like in certain situations, we might decide to do that. Um, yeah, I think there's Win a whole, more Olympic whole, medals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's something to do with like currency devaluation or something like. I don't know. I can't. I'm, I'm not really an expert in these things, but but yeah, I, I I do think you're right. We are able to actually do that if we wanted to. Because I do believe that back in the day, you were part of Australia in the beginning, were you not? Oh, pass. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, discussing geography Oz coming soon to the um, <laughs> yeah. Oz network. But I uh, this back on topic. I, I like it kind of as uh, Hank's about to leave. They've got to take a photo of his hands essentially, and uh, it's not often I feel this show is dated. Maybe the flip flip phones, but seeing someone with a digital camera, uh, <laughs> like I mean, yeah. I remember when uh, the phone cameras on phones weren't that great and you used to have to have a separate digital camera. They used to be like two, three megapixels back in the day and these were like eight megapixels. So you, you always had a digital camera with you at the same time as well. Um, Hank's clearing out his office, kind of a bit of a solemn little scene when everybody's kind of looking at him as he walks through. There's that one guy in the corridor who kind of like turns and goes, oh, okay, he's, he's leaving. But then, oh, God, like Dean Norris in this episode, just seeing Marie in the elevator, like doesn't even say a word, just walks straight in, just a look on his face, and then just him breaking down and crying. I mean, the elevator really is kind of his happy place, isn't it, to uh, feel that he can show his emotions. But holy crap, just seeing, and even just seeing Marie, you, you kind of just see Marie, her, she's crying and she's hugging him. And then just the way they kind of walk out of the uh, the lift and kind of go through to the doors, like, oh, my God. Like, it's it's sad. It's hard. Like, Because, I mean, this is a guy who kind of does everything he can to avoid his emotions. He's so good at it. But then all of a sudden he's just complete wreck. In, a, in the elevator. I mean, this is a, a lot of sort of graphic confronting scenes in this episode. Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I absolutely love this. And this is kind of like the turning point for Hank, this whole episode, right? And I mean, um, it's interesting listening to the commentary on this one because they do a lot of, um, you know, this is the moment where Hank's character turns. And they talk about it being the moment where he kind of looks up after he's knocked Jesse out as being like that moment where everything turns for him and you know, he can't just use anger and violence to, to kind of solve his problems. But to me, it's almost like being in this elevator, like he, he goes into it as one person and he kind of comes out as a different person because he's actually finally, you know, going back to those scenes from previous episodes where, you know, he's arguing with Marie and you know, that shower scene that we talked about a couple of episodes back. And, you know, we, we find finally starting to see him you know have his emotions and he's prepared to finally break down and be vulnerable in front of Marie and I, I love the fact that he kind of like goes in and he's all stoic you see him break down in the elevator and then as he steps out they're both stoic again you know like it's just it's been like this kind of private moment that kind of is, is over quickly between the two of them but it's kind of an acknowledgement that he's prepared to kind of accept some of the things that are happening to him and he's not going to be the same person anymore and um yeah I mean this is the Hank episode right I mean uh, you know, Jesse's got some great scenes in it and Walt's got some great scenes. But to me, this is the Hank episode and he's never the same again for a lot of reasons after this episode. That's a very good way of putting it, Nick. I like that um, for sure. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's a very good way of kind of seeing that. Like we talked about uh, Walt becoming Heisenberg, you know, when is the episode? And I watched a very um, interesting video recently on YouTube about them sort of nominating several episodes where he officially becomes Heisenberg. But, yeah, kind of Hank is uh, different from this point on um, moving forward. And, yeah, Dean Norris, incredible. Um, Skylar shows up to uh, Walt's new apartment, um, and I love the line, well, I guess crime does pay. And then your uh, opening line of, well, did you just come here to insult me? Um, which I also do love this obsession that Walt really has with cutting the crust off. I mean, clearly Crazy 8 changed his life, right? Like just yeah. well, Certainly his dietary, his dietary requirements anyway. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I've never gotten people who cut crusts off bread. Like, I mean... I'm always eating the crusts. I've got plenty of hair on my chest, so clearly that's why. Like, are you a crust man, Nick? Well, I just think, like, as you can see, like, when he cuts it off, there's actually not much sandwich left. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I would never cut crusts off. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Crust, I'm actually the type of weird person that will eat the the, the crust bottom, like the, the main, yeah, you know, like yeah. the one that's left over. I, I like that. Like, it's, it's nice. What's wrong with the crust? But yeah. having said that, I'm also the weird person who I don't like skin on chicken. So I, I'm not one right. for the chicken skin, whereas I know people like some people just eat the skin. Wasn't it on Friends when Joey just eats the the skin? Of the- there's definitely that. Def- there's definitely an episode of South Park where Cartman eats all the skins. <laughs> just here we are again, referencing Friends every week on uh, our Breaking Bad. <laughs> We're not teasing for future recaps, Nick. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come to the dark side. Um, 
we basically get uh, this is just Skylar saying, uh, you know, telling Walt like, "Hey, come on, Jesse can't press charges. This is your family, you know. Like, this is this is not good. This is going to kill his career." Um, and basically, Walt saying, "No, he's he can't do anything about it." And then we start to get the cracks forming between our super pairing of Walt and Gail. Uh, Gail's loving it. Gail's all into it, and uh, Walt's not. So sad moments for our Walt and Gail friendship, which well, it becomes sad. sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Of like he wants to see that because he wants to find a solution to this Jesse issue, and so his way of doing that is to is to find fault in um, in Gail, and um, you kind of get this whole thing of like Gail's kind of more dressed like Walt than he was in the in the previous uh, episode, which is quite interesting. Um, just going back to that previous scene real quick of, of Skyler and Walt, you know that that whole thing where she says, "Oh, we've got to help Hank because he's fair." family and 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 what kind of makes the point of why currently he's not family you know um mm. which is really that's a really biting remark isn't it like a really really tough remark um to be making so um yeah yeah i just uh, it is kind of this real self-fulfilling prophecy with with gail here that he wants to see him making mistakes so that he can then make a pitch to gus that actually gail's not good enough and and he's going to need jesse so he's kind of warming up for that already yeah yeah uh, we've got now um, our cousins slash brothers slash family members in the desert meeting up with a guy who likes to pee on women, um, which is interesting. This guy's in Nip Tuck. He was in... Um, I thought this was Froget from Lost, but it's not Froget from Lost. But I looked up his filmography. He was in... Uh, it was at season six, wasn't it, where we had that creepy guy and he had the younger lover and they were like his son or whatever and, and Christian like saves him and then the younger guy tries to come on to Christian. Um, right, right, yeah. He's like, yep. he's in that episode. I can't remember him in that episode, but apparently he's in that episode when I looked him up on IMDb. But he's basically selling weapons here to the cousins and um, I like this guy. Like, he's just got some personality. Like, he's just funny. I was just talking about like, I'm going to hurry up. I'm going to go meet this woman. She wants to be peed on. It's like, I don't understand why it's always the women in warmer clients that want to be peed on you think it'll be the women in colder climates climates that want to be peed on it makes no sense to me uh sells them these big ass weapons that are going to like basically pierce through things and then you've got some great bulletproof vests that uh nothing can stop and then i love the fact that one of these cousins is like does it work and he's like absolutely just shoots this guy (laughs) and he's like you goddamn broke my rib son of a bitch and then they just like walk off like badass moment um but it's just a cool little scene um, and maybe I'll just kind of tack onto the end here, the fight between Gus and Walt. Well, when I say fight, the anger management from Walt, as you said, kind of trying to make excuses to get Jesse to work in the lab. He basically is blaming, um, am I saying Gus? I mean, Gail, sorry, blaming Gail for fucking up the temperature and that this whole, whole batch is a mess and they tip it all out and we get this kind of sludge being poured out as well. So, um... Yeah, I, I, I like random guy who likes to pee on women. That's a sentence I thought I'd never say before. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, I do like that kind of like when they they do the whole thing of does it work and they shoot him that he does reference. So you just broke my rib because I think that's, that's something that kind of in movies they never really kind of delve into is that just because you've got a bulletproof vest doesn't mean you're not going to yeah. get hurt. You know, it's still going to hurt like hell. And obviously the setup of the bullet, you know, like have this bullet. This is going to come back later on this particular bullet. So, um, which you know one of the cousins kind of picks up and puts in his pocket so um so yeah i think it's um it's nice little setup i wish this guy talked just a little bit slower because you know like i just i couldn't quite catch everything he's saying and he's got quite a thick accent as well so um it was a little there's probably people listening to this uh, podcast wishing i'd do the same so um, i do all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak so, English. Um, yeah that's uh that's my only critique of this otherwise it's really fun and yeah i think that 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 next scene is um yeah just kind of just kind of follow on um of, of um, Walt getting even more pissed at Gale, just yeah, kind of, kind of just setting up what we're going to get later in the episode. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I, I maybe I just I, I like hearing him talk about peeing on women, so I I understand. I don't I don't know. I don't know how to follow on from that. Um, <laughs> nice scene between uh, Hank and Marie, kind of sitting on the bed, and uh, obviously Hank here, kind of this is when he really opens up to her and basically says why he's been feeling how he's feeling, how shooting Tuco affected him and kind of just like how he's why he's been acting the way he's been acting i mean again dean norris is just incredible here and it's just uh, it's just it's weirdly confronting to watch when you see a character like this who you're so used to kind of being the tough guy essentially um you know admit to this um so 
Yeah, and then th- this is what he says that he sh- he should be better than that. That he he's meant to be better than that after he like bashed Jesse, um, and yeah, that he essentially thinks that he's now done. Like his 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 life as a cop is done because he's kind of just unraveled to a point where he's able to do this. Um, yeah, I might stop it here because I think we've got kind of two very intense dialogue back to back scenes here, mm. which deserve their own uh, moment in the sun. But um, well, yeah, I mean yeah, it's great. The- it's so good and there's a couple of things i really really like about it and one of them is that um you know like a lot of this dialogue is actually delivered with with dean norris out of the focus like it's actually the focus is on betsy brandt you know it's on marie and her reacting to it and it's really interesting to think about you know these kind of dialogue scenes that obviously the acting when they're delivering the lines is is really important but having somebody who can act off them and react and just give that kind of good reaction face is is so valuable and she's so good here like just kind of soaking these lines up and the other thing that i kind of really think about this is that you know like everything that's built up to this if you're watching this in real time the first time you watch this this hits home even more because I think as the audience, you're anticipating that, that Hank's about to get killed. And so he's delivering this really kind of this, conf- not confession, but, you know, like he's been really open with his emotions and, and being honest and, and facing up to, you know, what his future might might hold because he can no longer be a cop in, in his eyes. And actually like what he doesn't know is that there's people coming to kill him. And I think that that just makes, the scene even more emotional you know like it's an amazing scene anyway and i think just the context around it is just makes it even better it's just it's so good it's a very good point actually it's kind of it's almost like the cliche like i was just two days away from retirement Uh, (laughs) but um yeah no that's that's a very good point uh sort of watching this for the first time hello colin um, is probably, yeah, very different and basically on the way that would go with that. But um, just before we get to this other intense dialogue scene, we have Walt calling up Gus and saying that Gail's not working out and that uh, you basically gave me complete control and I want Jesse back. Um, and, yeah, kind of this is all obviously a ploy to kind of keep Jesse on the same page and, you know, really, you know, keep him under control so he's not going to go and, of course, uh, dob him into the cop. So, Hashtag selfish Walt. It's a trend that we always get in this show. Um, but, I mean, obviously it's going to create some things for us that as a viewer we're going to want to see. But then we get this scene. Now, I mentioned last week on the show that Aaron Paul, uh, before El Camino came out, uh, said that there was one scene that if you watch any scene, you don't have time to watch all of Breaking Bad before El Camino comes out. If you want to see one scene that really sets up uh, El Camino as a, as a movie for you to understand why it's a movie and what Jesse's going to go through. It's watch this scene in this episode. So basically, um, Walt comes to the hospital bed to see Jesse and uh, to essentially ask him to come join him in the super lab. But Jesse just, just goes off. Uh, Jesse just completely goes off at him saying that his life has been completely ruined since he met the great Heisenberg, uh, that everything has gone to shit. He's lost everything. He's lost everyone. Um, he wants nothing to do with him. And that he says he's never been more alone. Um, and just, oh, it's just, it's so just sad. Like, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Cause like, obviously as a Jesse fan, like I just feel so bad for this kid. And like, I, I kind of agree with him that his life has really turned to shit since Walt came in. Not that he had an amazing life before, but I mean, the first time we saw him, he was sleeping with a neighbor with nice boobs. So, I mean, you know, things were going okay for him. <laughs> um, but you know, here he is now beaten to a pulp, lost Jane, lost so much. And yeah, and like, just even the acting from Aaron Paul, like again, just uh, so, so good before this is so much better. And then, like, if you watch him, just even the way you see, like, spit, like, again, back to Friends, it reminds me of the Gary Oldman episode about, like, accentuate the words. You've got to spit in my face. Um, but, like, just, it's just, he's so into this scene. He's so into, so intense that you just, he loses that functionality of himself. So, God, it's good. And then I love that line just as, um, you know, Jesse's basically saying about, like, you said my meth was crap and all this kind of stuff. And then Walt kind of obviously turns to him and gets one little line of manipulation in. You know, your meth was really good, almost as good as mine, or if not as good as mine, and then kind of leaves. And maybe I'll just cap it here when Walt pulls up to his apartment and Jesse rings him. And, of course, the big kicker that Walt said to him is that things would be 50-50 
And then so you hear basically Jesse on the phone going 50-50. And it's like 50-50. And we end with Jesse looking at a pain chart. And we see a, a sad face with like a black eye or whatever it is. I like the sad face. I, I'm just saying this now. I think this is another potential top five scene. I mean, it's so good. Like, it's just it's so intense. And, like, I do – I like, it's it's interesting when Aaron Paul said that this is a very important scene in the grand scheme of this show to really set up El Camino. And I, I'll admit, I went back and watched this scene before El Camino because it had been a long time since I'd seen it. And it does set up El Camino very well. So, yeah, I think kind of in the importance of this scene alone uh, can put it up as a potential top five scene. Yeah, and I think probably the key line in all of this to me is that, you know, when he says, I'm not saying no to the money, I'm saying no to you. You know, yeah. that to me, that kind of captures everything. And it's, I think it's actually the the most well-delivered line uh, by Aaron Paul in, in what's already a phenomenal scene. I think that kind of just that encapsulates what makes the scene really, really good. Look, I, I really, really like the scene. Um, I think just the acting's really good. I just love how kind of... You know, like this guy's in tremendous pain, and he's kind of lying in this bed. And we've, and I think we've already heard in this episode that he's that he's refusing pain medication. Have we heard that already, or that's coming up? But anyway, like we find that out. You know, that he's refusing to take any pain medication because, and they know that because they drug tested him. You know, so uh, this whole thing about him, you know, being a being a meth dealer. Well, actually, they've, they've kind of tested, you know, drug tested him, and he's clean, including any um, pain relief. And my point is that he's kind of lying in this bed, and he gets so angry that he actually kind of leans up you know which would have been actually quite a lot of pain to kind of tolerate even that kind of movement for the kind of beating he's had um so yeah i think it's a it's a really really great performance look i'm, I'm gonna take issue with him saying that you know his life was it was uh, and i'm gonna get this right because what he says is his kind of life has gone to shit since he met walt so um we're not necessarily saying that his life was great before he met walt but um i think we've kind of got the sliding doors moment and we're never going to know that obviously of what jesse's life would have looked like if he hadn't met walt but let's not forget he was actually making and distributing meth before he met walt his you know famous chili pea so there's every chance that Jesse would have got caught out, ended up in prison. You know, so I, I think probably the thing we also need to remember is that Jesse doesn't know yet that, or, you know, may never find out that, you know, Walt is responsible for, well, not responsible for, but could have stopped Jane's death, right? So so that part of it is that he doesn't actually know that. Um, so he can't hold Walt responsible for Jane's death um, from the information he has. So I guess that, you know, the, the point there is that he can't really blame Walt for that particular part of it. He can say that his life's been shit since Walt came into it. He's not wrong there, but I do think like we don't know what the comparison would have looked like. Um, you know, it wasn't like this guy was had a, 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 you know, an awesome job and a great education and a, a, a loving family. Like his relationship with his parents and his family was already screwed up before Walt came along. So I think probably there's a little pr- bit of projection here from jesse um that you know blaming walt for everything that's gone wrong in his life is probably a little bit unfair um but it's also not completely wrong either you know, it is right in a lot of ways so i'm not trying to say that jesse's an asshole here but i think projecting everything onto walt is, is also not entirely fair either i think yeah like this is i think what makes jesse and, and walt great characters because yeah like i see that and like i guess you know you're right but at the same time like Walt's similar in the fact that, you know, Walt often is is bemoaning his life of nothingness and he's kind of been invisible. But, like, as we learn, there are certain things and choices that Walt's made that could have gone better and it's not all everyone else's fault. It's kind of on him. So, yeah, it's, it's again, the layers of these characters. You And, like, I guess, you know, you've always said about Jesse being a sympathetic character and I guess maybe I just sympathise with him in, on that level a little bit more. But I can definitely see, like, what you're saying. Like, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think one of the things is that both of these guys think in absolutes, right? So yeah. they each think that the other one is totally responsible for everything that's going wrong in their life. Um, and, and so maybe that's the point I'm trying to make is that both these guys think in absolutes and they're both wrong. Um, and, and at various points, you're going to sympathize with one or the other. And I think as the show goes on, we're going to sympathize more and more with Jesse and less and less with Walt. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a very good point. Then we get the uh, the ending of this episode, which kind of, you know, goes pretty boom, boom, boom here. So uh, Hank gives his statement again, admits to everything, uh, and basically this is a, give me a badge and you're gone, you're suspended. Um, your <laughs> license is revoked. Uh, 007, this isn't a country club, 007. Um, license to kill star, jumps out, bashes a couple of MI6 agents and goes off the balcony. Um, but, uh, yeah, gives up his badge and his gun. 
And he's on the phone to Marie. He's got some purple flowers, which is nice. He's uh, about to uh, go home and uh, he seems almost, uh, I won't say happy, but he kind of almost seems relieved in a way, doesn't he? So he gets in the car and then we get a phone call basically warning him that he's got one minute's warning. There's two men, two men coming to kill him. And, oh, God, like, from this part on, you know, Hank's kind of, you know, thinking this is a bit of a joke. Um, he calls up Gomi and basically leaves a message saying, like, screw you, this isn't a very funny joke. But then just attention to the scene, the way it's edited, you kind of see, like, Hank, like, looking at the uh, the clock in the car. You see one minute tick by. We see sort of these two bald men that we're thinking, like, oh, it's cousins, but then you realise it's just some guy trying to put something under a windshield. And it's just the way this is edited, it's kind of got these quick cuts where you kind of see, like, Walt kind of like uh, Hank looking around. He's tense, he's nervous. Then out of nowhere, bang, 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 uh, one of the cousins starts shooting into the window. Uh, Hank reverses and just uh, completely squashes one of the cousins in between a car. Then just this epic shootout that uh, that goes through. Hank gets shot a few times here and uh, is basically on the ground. One of the cousins is about to come and kill him. He ends up killing some random guy, nearly kills another woman who screams and runs away out of bullets. Uh, just as he reloads his gun, he's about to pull the trigger to kill Hank. But then he says no. And what does he say? Too easy or not, uh, not good enough or something? So he goes to get the silver axe does the whole like evil villainous thing where you got to drag it along the ground to make noise and scare you a little bit. And just as he's about to uh, kill him, Hank's able to grab that bullet you talk about, reload the gun, bang, headshot. Like he's really been going to the shooting range a lot, has he, Hank? This is two Salamancas with headshots here. Get this guy playing Call of Duty and then, damn, over. You get this great long shot where you just kind of dead silence. You hear the car horn beeping. You just see these pools of blood. And that's the end of the fucking episode. I mean, God, top five right now. Do I even need to say it? But holy crap balls. This is just intense. I, Colin, if you're listening for the first time watching this, tell us your reaction to watching this because I remember watching this for the first time just being, fuck, what just happened? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's just so much to it that you got to love, eh? Like, um, so many different different levels to it. And um, one little thing I'll point out is that when he gets the phone call telling him it's one minute, did you notice the time? Uh, there was something 07. Is that 307, which is also the season and episode three, episode three, three, episode seven. Um, so, so yeah, that is absolutely not an accident. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's just, there's so much to love about this. And I think, um, you know, like obviously the mystery of who's called is, is the first thing. Um, so, you know, we've got this nice little mystery here about who's called to kind of save Hank, which is, um, which, which is really interesting. Um, I think the kind of like the misdirection that we get of like, there's, there's suddenly a lot of bald people in this car park. You know, there's like a guy, a couple, I think he's like putting like flyers under windscreens or something like, um, um, and so he's he's just down there, and um, and yeah, and then obviously you kind of see the first cousin behind, and he, it kind of just like he, he's there all of a sudden. It's kind of like we get this kind of almost slow build up to this, you know, this eventuality, and then bang, this guy's here, and he starts shooting, and um, you see like Hank just kind of turns around and you know just just floors it with that reverse, and and like just pins this guy between two cars, and you know first shot into Hank there he gets a shot in the arm at that point but obviously that you know he he um the impact kind of pushes that gun into the back seat which is you know what saves Hank later on is that he he's able to grab that gun um you know which which is really really cool um yeah and I just think that, you know there's some, some really cool stuff going on here too in terms of you know you're you're fearing the worst and yeah, I, I think that whole thing of kind of like um, too easy. I, I, I think you could you could say, oh, well, who in real life would do this? They'd just finish Hank off. But it's, it's TV, you know, and sometimes yeah. you've got to have this kind of TV moment. Um, and so it is really, really great. You see him go and get that axe and kind of drag it along the ground. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the camera angle, the, the shot we get where, you know, like the, that little slight breaking of the fourth wall where you see kind of blood and brain matter on the camera. Um, oh. Um, is really really cool you know and just that shot is fantastic where you just kind of see him get the head shot and you see clear daylight through his head um you know is is, is really quite amazing and then yeah obviously the kind of wide shot where you've got you know two dead bodies and and a very nearly dead body and, and hank kind of just like lying in, this, in these pools of blood as you kind of hear the the car alarms going off it's just it's so well done like the tension that's kind of built up to this is, is really really impressive like they just do such a good job of 
you know, just gradually building pressure. And then once it's on, it's bang, it's amazing. It kind of reminds me of like, I remember listening to a lot of stuff about Lord of the Rings and um, the second movie in that trilogy is obviously this kind of slow build up to the Battle of Helm's Deep. And Peter Jackson talked about that he kind of, he had that idea from a, an old film, 60s film called Zulu. Um, and basically it's like, you know, this slow, slow build up to this battle of, of you know, these two armies. And then once that first arrow gets fired, it's like, bang, it's on. And, and just the action just does not stop from that point onwards. And this feels a little bit the same. It's like, you know, just the, there's not even music. It's just kind of almost sound effects, like, da, 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 you know, get ready, get ready, get ready. And then as soon as you see that cousin kind of fire through the windscreen, just it's all on and it, it just doesn't let up. It's just so, so good. Yeah. So, I mean, hands down top five. We don't even need to mention that. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it goes without saying. I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about that. We've enjoyed some of the stuff that we've got in season three, not all of it. You know, like we have had a couple of, of rents. Um, we've been waiting for something like this. You know, we I think we've just needed this. Um, and, you know, I think last last episode was was great and, and some really, really good stuff, especially around the RV. But this just takes it to another level. It just it is it's phenomenal and um yeah I'm, I'm just so happy that we're finally here and we've got this amazing episode uh, do you know what the original plan was to end this episode which might have been like even more epic uh i do not but now i need to know so um basically they were going to have um all of this happen and then mike was going to show up and basically drown the other cousin in a bucket of water oh. um and, but what they realized is that they'd had this kind of big build up to these two cousins kind of um having a, a face-off of some kind with heisenberg and they couldn't kind of not have at least one of the cousins you know have a face to face with with walt so they decided that they had to keep one of them alive in order to you know have that that kind of thing that we're going to get in the next episode where you'll kind of see those two make eye contact so they decided that they needed to have that so yeah it could have very easily ended on another kind of really brutal scene which may have even been a bit too much i don't know yeah i i I mean that sounds epic but i'm glad we got what we got because it kind of i think it's 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 good enough as it is i'm a bit concerned about random passerby in the car park that just gets murdered so um you know who is he is he okay like i mean his family okay i mean he's not okay he's dead but um and woman gets saved yeah, re- reminds me of the Austin Powers thing. Nobody thinks about the family of a henchman, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> but he was like a father to me. <laughs> um, just looking at some of the trivia here: Walter White Jr., Gustavo Fring, and Mike Ermintrout do not appear in this episode. Um, the wooden chair which Hector Salamanca is sitting in strangely looks like a wheelchair, foreshadowing his future handicap. Um, interesting. Uh, anything else here? That I'm looking. Uh, Dean Norris said the scene where Hank is talking to Marie and tells her basically he isn't the man she thinks he is was the most affectionate scene for him because he almost had his head chopped off by an axe afterwards. Um, that's a valid point. Um, there you go. Um, I mean, do I even need to ask what you're doing with this episode, Nick? <laughs> it's a bit no, for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm just laughing because I've actually just, um, I've, I've kind of just paused on that final kind of shot of this, of this episode, which is kind of like Hank and, and the dead cousin kind of lying in the car park. And I just love that we're kind of in this car park and we've got this like massive kind of Ford pickup truck parked in a compact car car park. <laughs> like that just screams america to me doesn't it of like compact car i'm going to park my massive ford in that car park anyway and it fits, a small car that like yeah. they have that thing on there yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny hey look yeah this is t- this is totally a buy for me and like i've been been kind of like way weighing up where i put this on my list because obviously this is going to be very very near the top and um i kind of started to think through this and you know like um you may not like to hear it but i, I think this is a better episode than better call saul that kind of then had me you know is it better than the pilot which is a, you know i love the pilot it's such a good episode but I think this is better. Um, and then, so it's to me, it's either one or two here. And so my number one is Crazy Handful of Nothing, which is episode six of season one, which is the one where we get Walt bald for the first time, blowing up Tuco's pad. And I, I love that episode for so many reasons. Um, for me, I think this has got a, a better kind of ending. Like this this final scene is better than the final scene in that episode. Um the other thing I love about this particular episode is that we get some great dialogue and I've talked about that. I love this, you know, slightly quieter, slower scenes with fantastic dialogue. And it's just like almost one after another on this episode. So um, for me, it's number one now, like it is my number one episode. Um, And that's, 
way more thought than any normal human being should put into this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely love this episode. Um, and I, it has to be at the top for me. So um, yeah, a new number one for me. Interesting. I like it when we get a new number one. I just want to say, I mentioned last week that the ringer had this at number four uh, overall out of 62, of course, and they do have one more episode from this season above it at number two. So uh, still maybe a very good episode to come. I, I'm similar to you. I was kind of debating where I would put this and kind of thinking like, is this number one? Like, how do I rank this? How do I do it? Um, and I couldn't put it ahead of Better Call Soul because I just, I mean, I love this episode, but like if I'm just going to put on a random episode and love it even more, it would be Better Call Soul. So it came down to me, would it be number two? And then I just thought about the pilot and I just like, oh, like the pilot's so good, this episode's so good. But to me, like maybe the pilot just gets a bit more of a point ahead of it because it is the pilot. Like it, it, it gets a bit more traction to me because it's the first episode. So it makes it just a little bit better to me because it's like, wow, this is the very first episode of the show. Whereas one minute's had a bit more time to build up to it. So I've got this at number three uh, on my list. So by far my highest ranked season three episode though, by a long way. Uh, Sunset, I've got it at number 12 now. So um, yeah, my first top 10 season three episode, Nick. Yeah. And I think, um, Unfortunately, I think we do slow down again a little bit. Um, like I, I think I kind of talked about at the start of the season that it's kind of like this, you know, it gets better and better and better and then it kind of like shoots skywards. And actually that's not quite true now in retrospect. I think we do have a little bit of a kind of slowing down and, and then picking back up again at the end. Um, but I think what I like about next episode is that I think kind of um, maybe that kind of finale of season two we criticised as being not, you know, we had to wait until the episode one of season three to kind of get the fallout of the plane crash. And next episode's all about kind of, you know, the reaction and fallout to what we've just seen. And I actually appreciate that. I like that, that we actually are going to spend a bit of time unpacking what's happened in this episode. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really like that. I think it, it's good. And I appreciate that we're actually going to spend a bit of time doing that. Um, but there's no doubting that it's a bit of a slower episode moving forwards. Look, I don't hate next week's episode, but I also don't really love next week's episode. You're right. It's completely just so much slower. And I'm not going to fault the dialogue on what they try and do with it. And you've got some funny Jesse moments in it. And there's one scene I really do love in the episode. But, yeah, it just it's such a flat point for me after such a great episode that we've got this week. And, again, like I'm not faulting in the way that, like, you're right. Like, you need to kind of have an episode to recover from what we've seen this week. But I don't know. There's just something about next week which it falls in a different direction. So I feel like it's going to be an interesting one to talk about next week. But of course, that episode is called I See You and that is uh, coming your way next week. In the meantime, do all the things at the end of this episode, like it, everything and all that kind of stuff and uh, listen to our 24 coverage. That's pretty good. Lost is pretty good. Movie ones are pretty good. Just It's a pretty good show. You should like it. It's the Oz Network. What else do we have to say? Uh, but yes, we'll be back next week for more Breaking Bad. My name is Ben and I don't want a monkey. <laughs> you want me? Um, yes. And uh, my name's Nick, and there's no honour amongst thieves except for us. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. Wow! 
For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>